0: amen well if you're a guest with us you happen to have joined us as we are in the second letter to the corinthians and paul's been defending his ministry to the corinthians and so it's actually about three chapters of him um and and throughout actually the whole letter he he hits on the points of the big difference between his ministry and that of these uh who he calls in this letter, super apostles, kind of in a mocking way. So in honor of God's word, would you stand with me as I read 2 Corinthians eleven five through 15. Indeed, I consider that I'm not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you. God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Amen. This is God's word. He can be seated. So Paul has... His been defending himself against these accusations of the false teachers that he sarcastically calls super apostles in this letter he doesn't define exactly what it is that they're teaching but in the previous verses paul tells us they that that they are teaching a different jesus a different spirit and a different gospel in the greek culture Flowing, beautiful, convincing rhetoric was was honored as a skill of the the most intelligent people in the community. The better they were at that influential uh, gospel that that's just moved people's emotions, the more they could charge their students, the more the students were willing to pay. So it was very looked up to in the Greek culture. So Paul's refusing to take any money from the church, any financial support from the church, uh, had them saying, well, he doesn't take any money because he's really not worth anything. You know, if he was a good speaker, he'd charge. And if he was a really good speaker, he'd, he'd charge a lot. So, you know, he's not very good. Paul's demeanor was expressed in gentle persuasion, whereas the Greeks honored bold and demanding teachers. But Paul wasn't about to let these imposters steal those sheep that God had appointed him to shepherd. Like a good shepherd, he was running to face the wolves rather than to run from them. Verse 5 again, Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these super apostles. Paul started this section by saying it was foolish to compare worldly credentials. But since they are emphasizing their own worldly credentials, he'll answer these fools according to their folly. And he mocks them by referring to them as super apostles for that's how they were presenting themselves, as somebody who's extra special. Not not just as God's representatives, but as the elite representatives of Jesus, or really another Jesus. When clever Fallen people see a humble group of people, they see dollar signs. Even today, some Christian leaders' names whom we highly respect are presently or were receiving salaries that would make them blush if they had to announce them in public. Now, Paul says ministers are worthy of double honor, which implied being well-supported, but that's quite different from the outlandish salaries that make some ministers multimillionaires, our passage today starts off with paul telling them that he's not in the least inferior to them they had demeaned him to the congregation and some of the church had fallen for that deception it seems that criticism is something our fallen nature readily joins in but The standards that they were declaring as important were worldly standards. And even the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit. We must remember that the early church didn't have the Bible like we have today. They couldn't go to the scriptures and and make sure that what the preacher was preaching was from the word of God or not. They may have had one gospel, possibly if... If they were a really fortunate church, they might have had one gospel. And maybe they had uh, people in the church that had access to some of the Old Testament from the synagogues. Maybe, And they, of course, had the first letter to the Corinthians. And they did experience a year and a half of Paul teaching in Corinth. Yet the cultural influence of the false teachers was pulling them back into the old worldly mindset. So Paul tells them the claim that he is inferior is rubbish. Verse 6, Even if I'm unskilled in speaking, I'm not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. One area of their attack was Paul's speaking ability. Paul spent his youth studying under Rabbi Gamaliel, one of the leading rabbis of that time. He'd grown up in the college town of Tarsus. He could quote Greek philosophers. He knew the Old Testament better than almost anyone. The church of Corinth had a year and a half of teaching from the Old Testament texts, showing that Jesus was the Messiah and how he'd come to redeem them from their sins. If the false teachers thought they were superior in speaking ability? Paul says, knowledge is more important. And that's where he beats them hands down. Paul refused to use manipulative rhetoric for fear it would empty the cross of its power. He knew a clear presentation of the truth of what Jesus did for us was where the real power lay. We need to remember this truth. Some people, you know, uh, come across as, as very likable and very knowledgeable. They have a great personality. They, they seem like they're your best friend. They sound so sincere. But what are they teaching? Is the power of the Holy Spirit present? Are people being drawn to Jesus or to that person? Knowledge of the Holy does come from a study of the Word but it also comes from walking with the Lord. James refers to it as the wisdom that comes from above. The Corinthians had witnessed the knowledge and wisdom of Paul and of his team. Their style was so different from that of the false teachers. Verse 7 and 8, Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you may be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. So the next defense he makes in regarding his refusal to ask for financial support, most of the churches Paul established helped to finance Paul's ministry team. It was the wisdom of God that he did not ask for support from Corinth. This is one of those catch-22s. You know, if he asked for support like he did from other churches or accepted the support, then the false teachers would say, see, he's just in it for the money. If he doesn't accept it, they say, see, he's not worth being paid. That's why he doesn't ask for it. So since he didn't, they say it's because he knew he wasn't worth it. Paul declares the reason he humbled himself is not to receive support. Not to receive support was so that the congregation may be exalted. In other words, he didn't want to give Satan something that would hinder their growth. He asked them if it wasn't a sin not to charge them for his teaching. I think, of course, that's a rhetorical question. They knew it revealed his love and generosity. They witnessed how hard he worked. He says he robbed other churches in order to serve them. That's a hyperbole, meaning he used so much of other churches' support to help the Corinthians, it felt like robbery. He also worked with his own hands to support himself so that he could serve them. The word minister literally means to serve. Jesus said he came not to be served, but to serve. Paul was following the example of his Lord. Preaching and teaching is one form of service and worthy of being supported. Verse nine, and when I was with you and was in need, I didn't burden anyone for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. So when when Paul first came to Corinth, the book of Acts tells us, that he found Aquila and Priscilla, uh, fellow ministers of the gospel. And they had the same trade that he did. He was a leather worker. And so he worked with that skill in order to support himself and his team. But in Acts 18.5, it tells us he became occupied with the word, showing the Jews from the Old Testament that Jesus is the Messiah. That's when... The Jews came down from Macedonia, the Jewish believers came down from Macedonia and brought the support for Paul so that he could preach full time. And this is the standard actually for missions today in the third world. Missionaries rarely, if ever, ask the people they are serving for support for the same reason. But over time, once the people have matured, the people begin to want to give even out of their poverty to work to the work of the Lord. We see that in the the radio tower um, that we sponsor in Guinea-Bissau. Guinea-Bissau is a small nation in West Africa. It has one of the lowest, it vies with Bangladesh for the lowest per capita income in the world. And the Lord blessed us with an opportunity to help uh, build a radio tower there that reaches about 1 million unreached Muslims. And when once that got going in in of course, in the local people's language, once it got going, they found even in such poverty, people from their villages would send money to support the radio tower. But of course, at first, you know, it was they received and they received, they learned, they'd hear the gospel, they'd hear sermon messages in their own language. They'd be taught hygiene and how to do better crops. And so then, Out of their poverty, they would send in just what what would be equivalent to us as a dollar, but that meant a lot to them. We get to share in helping churches in poverty, but as they mature, they want to support their own work. Paul says that he refrained and he will refrain from burdening them in any way. Many in the church in Corinth were slaves. Corinth, the city of Corinth, had about 100,000 slaves living in the city. But there were also many people that were wealthy. Paul didn't want them to think he was in it for the money. He knew that in that situation, it was better not to ask for support. But this was the exception to the rule. Letting others participate in ministry means they share in the fruit that comes from the ministry. As Kathy was just sharing, we help to support it, and then that means the fruit that comes from it is also a part of the work of the local church. Laying up treasure in heaven. It takes discernment to know when to ask for support and when asking would be harmful to the spiritual growth of the church. Those of you who have been with us for a long time know that I rarely preach on giving. God provides, and often it is through touching people's hearts. If we have a shortfall, I'll inform the congregation. Our books are always open. Rarely have we not ended the year even or even ahead. The pressure to give I hear in some congregations really saddens me. It's detrimental to the gospel, and it plays into the old argument that churches are just here to make money. I trust the Holy Spirit can direct you to give as he leads you. Most of you already know it's better to give than to receive. Verse 10. As the truth of Christ is in me this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. Paul was not going to stop boasting about the fact that the churches supported his ministry so that he didn't need to ask from the Corinthians. And it wasn't so that they would be put in a negative light. It was because he loved them. I feel the same way. I will not stop boasting in the fact that we do not give yearly tithing sermons. (laughs) And yet God always provides. For the last 21 years that I've been here, he's been faithful. He touches your hearts and we always have enough. We can give more than 20% to missions year after year because God is faithful and you're faithful to respond to his prompting. I've always believed that if we're being obedient, God will provide. As we say, when God guides, he provides. Verse 11, and why? Because I don't love you, God knows that I do. The reason Paul will boast is not to put Corinthians in a bad light it's to give glory to God and to show how all the churches work together for the advancement of the kingdom Paul says that before God he can declare he truly loves the Corinthians churches that are in need should never be offended when others find out that they are supported by other churches we are in this together for one purpose And it's not for the glory of man, it's for the glory of God. It's sad that so many churches are in competition with one another. We should see ourselves as on the same team, all Bible-believing, Christ-honoring churches. This past week, we joined the Methodist Church in their 24-hour prayer vigil to pray that God would show them his direction because the denomination wants to half the cost of the building, building that the congregants paid for and built. It's not because the church changed, but the denomination is the one that changed and the church stayed faithful to God's word. So please continue to pray for them. They are a Bible-believing church that wants to honor God. And we feel like we're in it with them. There are our brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse twelve, and what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. The reason Paul's not going to back down from proclaiming the freedom to preach without charging is to make clear that he's not like the money grubbing of false apostles. When they come into an area and they start asking for fees, people will be reminded how Paul would insist on working day and night without charge. And then they could easily see the motivation of the false teachers. If they say they're just like Paul and his team, those who've heard this account will know it's not true. Paul was protecting the churches of that region by warning them of the motivation of the false apostles. Verse 13, for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. One translation says masquerading as apostles of Christ. Now, Paul tells us what he really thinks about them. Those preaching with the motivation of money are false apostles. They are not God's chosen representatives. They are deceptive workers saying one thing and practicing another. They act like Jesus apostles at first, but they have a different Jesus, a different spirit, a different gospel. He could be so blunt because he had already witnessed the fruit that was produced from their ministry. The work of these false apostles is already becoming evident as enumerated in 2 Corinthians 12, 20. Discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder, the passage says. Paul didn't want to lose the ground he had gained for the kingdom of God in the city of Corinth. Each convert was precious to him, and their location was central to the spread of the gospel. Verse 14, and no wonder, For even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Here's another of these verses. You know, as we're going through Corinthians, I say, you should underline this one. This is one of those ones we go back to to remind us of these essential truths. Satan doesn't show up with two horns and a pitchfork and a pointed tail. He doesn't show his fangs and say he wants to destroy you. He is way too clever for that. He comes to us like he did to Eve. He offers spirituality on our terms, along with something sensual thrown in. He appeals to our old nature in subtle ways, never outright. Remember the screw tape's diabolical counsel to Wormwood? He says, Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Many in our modern culture do not believe there is a being called Satan. And yet his existence is one thing that accounts for the condition of the world we live in today. Jesus believed in him. He called him the prince of this world. Now, to those who are self indulgent, he may just reveal himself and offer them what they're lusting after. You know, there's a whole series, a video series of uh, rock and roll heroes, uh, legends, that tell the testimony of how they made their deal with the devil to get their number one song in their own words. So sometimes he's just outright (laughs) and reveals who he is and what he wants. But for those who have a fear of God, he has to come in disguise and work subtly as an angel of light. He sounds spiritual. The hook of fleshly desire is often covered with spiritual sounding bait. I've talked to people, in fact, to one man here right here in the Verde Valley, who said an angel of light appeared to him and taught him and gave him great revelations but what he told me was contrary to scripture. Satan made them feel that they had special knowledge, something no one else had. And so they had misinterpreted scripture to make it match this new special revelation. They go about trying to find naive Christians to follow them. And some of the biggest cults in America have had Christian emphasis with the distortion of some basic doctrine that made them feel special in their own minds. As the only ones who know this important revelation, they think all other believers they met are just uninformed, ignorant, or maybe even part of the pagan church called Babylon in Revelation. It's a pride trip, and they just can't see it. Verse 15, so it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. If that's how Satan works, that's how his ministers will work as well. They sound so spiritual, and of course, they have revelations that you need to understand. And little by little, you're drawn into believing that you are better than other Christians because of some secret knowledge or unique interpretation that most everyone else has missed. Pride takes hold and it's hard to break free from. Brothers and sisters, men and women have been walking with the Lord Jesus for over 2,000 years, studying his word for over 2,000 years. The chance that you're gonna find some essential truth that everyone else has missed is zero you may find some nuance that sheds some light on a passage you may read some things that you personally never saw before but it's nothing to start a new denomination over it makes you feel if it makes you feel you're better than others who claim to follow christ it's probably from the pit of hell Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Their end corresponds to their deeds. It's an often repeated expression in scripture. Our lives conform to what we truly believe. If we accept the pride trip that the enemy offers us, our end is determined by that. If we humble ourselves and serve others in love because the love of Christ is in our hearts, our end will correspond to our deeds as well. The Lord will return and he says he will bring his reward with him to repay everyone according to what he has done. I've run into a number of super apostles in my lifetime and generally they can be described as follows. They talk about themselves and their ideas incessantly to try to convince you they are as awesome as they believe themselves to be. They do not care about what God has done or is doing among you as they have their own agenda to push. They're critical and condemn things in the church, especially leadership, because they think they have a better way. They are ungrateful for anything done for them as they feel they deserve more than you can give them. Conversations are always one-sided as they cannot listen to anyone who would share even God's word with them. They're prideful to the degree that if there's a disagreement, it must be you that is wrong. They rarely use scripture, and if they do, it's some obscure passage that they've distorted or found some strange application for, or they have a few favorite passages that they misuse to manipulate others. They're uninterested in you as an individual. It's all about them. Many of these descriptions will apply to them, though not necessarily all of them, and sometimes they're good at hiding some of them. What do we do about this kind of an attack from the enemy on the church through prideful false teachers? You know, the the enemy knows the best way to bring down a congregation is from within the congregation. Outside attacks only make us stronger. If you think you see these signs in someone, take the facts to the elders of the church, so that they're aware of what's happening. They might clarify something you were unaware of, or they may warn, may be warned by you that there is a false teacher, a wolf in sheep's clothing, in the congregation. Jesus warned us that that was going to be the case. In fact, he said in the end time, it's gonna become very prevalent. They will probably pull the person aside. The elders will probably pull that person aside if you talk to them about him and ask what they've heard. They'll confront him with what the person has heard. Now that false teacher or Possible false teacher might explain it away, but as shepherds, they're going to keep a close eye on that person. And when wolves know they're spotted, they usually look for another flock. Pastors of one church will often warn pastors of other churches that that person is making their way through the the congregations in their town. And finally, serve one another in love. For love fulfills the law. Then our end will correspond to our deeds. And that can be a glorious promise instead of a frightful warning. Amen. Amen. Joe, would you close us in a song and then I'll give the benediction.